Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for your blessings towards us. Uh, in all aspects of, uh, of our lives, we thank you for Jesus, through whom we might know you, might approach your throne, might uh, know forgiveness of sins, and, uh, and through whom we might have all the spiritual blessings that we need uh, for life and godliness in heavenly places. Father, but we thank you, too, just for the earthly blessings you give us, uh, the plentiful things from food and drink and to uh, even the gift of a child. We rejoice with uh, Pastor Ray and his wife, Kelly. We're thankful for uh, this gift that you have granted them. And we thank you that even now they are already beginning that uh, the wonderful journey of being sanctified and becoming made more like Christ uh, through this life that you've entrusted to them. We pray for them that you would continue to do your work in their life. Uh, please uh, help the, Kelly to heal from her, uh, from her uh, surgery, for uh, young Ruby to continue to grow and, and to thrive and, and as she adjusts to life uh, in this world. And Lord, and pray that for both uh, Ray and Kelly, that you would use them to just uh, to teach and point their daughter um, to the way of life that is through uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we do pray that you would be glorified even now as we continue to look to you for all that we need for life. We look to you in, uh, because you have given us your word through which we might know you and know your will and your wisdom for this life that we give to us in these few days that you have us on earth. Help us to gain wisdom uh, from our time together and help us to understand your word and to live and apply it to each of us in accordance with where we, each of us are at. Father, we thank you for our guests and visitors who you brought to join us this morning, and we pray that they, too, would be blessed by their time together with us. We thank you, Father, for all these things that we can cast before your feet, knowing that you are a great and good God. You are our God and our almighty God and our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 127. This is our third and final kind of uh, topical sermon that I've been, uh, I call it the, I just realized, I should call it the, my series of lessons from sabbatical. As some of you that are kind of newish here, I just returned my sabbatical in the month of May. I had a three-month sabbatical where I had an opportunity to do several things. And some of the, just kind of share with you guys the lessons that God has laid upon my heart, truths. And I hope that there are things that are uh, very, they're, if you haven't noticed, they're on a very practical level. They're kind of just things that I've applied and thought about in my life, very, kind of lessons from life. And just kind of like, um, hopefully they will be encouraging to you. And just, they cause me to think about truths that are in God's word. So Psalm 127, this morning I want to look at, particularly verses 1 and 2. And in these verses, we really learn from uh, God just some lessons from sleep that the Lord has kind of laid upon my heart. Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, thus says the word of God. Uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. As I preach the Word of God uh, throughout the years and throughout the days and months, it's usually, if, you have, if you've been with us long enough, you know my pattern. Then in my preaching, I aim to, first and foremost, to, ex- to explain the Scriptures, to explain, interpret, give the interpretation, the meaning of the Scriptures, and then to exhort the Scriptures, to apply the meaning of the text to our lives. Uh, as you know, we've mentioned several times uh, the meaning 
interpretation of text is one, but the application of a text, of the meaning of a text, are many. Depends on who you are, your stage of life, etc. And so normally, I, I, if you've listened to me long enough, you know that I kind of tend to be a little heavy on the explaining side of things and a little lighter on the exhortation side of things. Uh, but today I'm going to do it a little different. I'm going to kind of start and with the end. I'm going to start with the application, the exhortation, and then I'm going to work kind of backwards to the explanation. And so hopefully you'll bear with me. Uh, hopefully you'll still see and understand this is uh, principles that we can learn and glean from the text. And here's the application. Here's the take-home. Okay, so you, know, you can say, well, I turned my ears off. I don't listen to anything else. Uh, at least I'll get this. Here's the application I want you to have this morning is that you need to sleep more. You need to sleep more. <laughs> All right. Amen. Okay, you, you, were just, you learned the lesson already. You can go. Okay. <laughs> you know, we, you need to sleep more. If you are among the two-thirds of adults throughout all developed nations that fail to obtain an average of eight hours of sleep each night, which uh, World Health Organization agrees and sci- other scientific agencies agree is what man generally needs, you need to sleep more. If you're among the 30% of American adults who sleep less than six hours a night consistently, and I'm in that group, sadly, you need to sleep more. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, boy, I really need another cup of coffee so I can listen to this sermon, you definitely need to sleep more, okay? So we are, there is a kind of a sleep epidemic in a sense that we're, people are not getting enough sleep in America and around the world. Now let me illustrate with you uh, this. Uh, I'm going to have to be a little heavy on illustrations today too. So let me illustrate uh, with an advertisement. Amazing breakthrough. Scientists have discovered a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer. It enhances your memory. It makes you more creative. It makes you look more attractive. Uh, That's not bad. It keeps you slim and lowers food cravings. It protects you from cancer and dementia. It wards off colds and the flu. It lowers your risk of heart attacks and stroke, not to mention diabetes. You'll even feel happier, less depressed, and less anxious. Are you interested? I think who would not be, right? Now, this fictitious advertisement is not for any drug that you can buy on the market today, but it accurately describes the scientifically proven benefits of a full night of sleep. And best thing of all, of course, with sleep is it's free. (laughs) Knowing this, will you sleep more tonight? That's the application. Now, okay, you said, but I don't see. You're like, okay, you Bible people out there saying, I did not show me the command where it says thou shall sleep. Okay, all right, well, just wait, just wait. (laughs) Okay, we'll work backwards. Now, the illustration that I just shared with you and the stats that I've quoted you are from a book uh, that I had the opportunity to read during my sabbatical. It's a book entitled Why We Sleep. It's a secular book, okay? So it's not a Christian book by far, all right? Don't, <laughs> I, don't, I enjoyed it. I found it very educational. Uh, but it's written by a man named Dr. Matthew Walker. He's a professor here at UC Berkeley nearby. He's also the director of its sleep and neuroimaging lab. Uh, he taught at Harvard for some years as well. So this guy's a you know, pretty sharp guy. And he's a... You might say he's a psychiatrist by trade. He, he deals with the science of, uh, of uh, the brain, and particularly his focus is on sleep. Uh, this book, though, as I was reading it, it, was like, it really just, and this along with a sermon that along my sabbatical, I, I heard a sermon on this very text, Psalm 127, that really just, for God used it to just re, kind of almost, in some way, rebuke me 
and in where I was putting my trust. And hopefully I'll be able to share with you kind of my journey a little bit and, that it, and through the scriptures as well that it would encourage you. Maybe think uh, this book as well as the sermon I heard, really think about what the Bible has to say about sleep. I've only taken sleep for granted. I just thought, well, that's just what we all do. It's like eating, drinking. You just can do it. You sleep. And not even think about uh, what God does with sleep. Why is sleep even something that is important to us? Is there any spiritual aspect to sleep? Or is it simply a non-spiritual matter? The Bible teaches us, though, that we're going to see much about sleep. And that sleep is God's gift to mankind. Sleep is God's gift to all of us. Our text this morning reminds us of this truth, that sleep is a gift from God. And I hope that by explaining it and looking at the scriptures and then walking you through my own, my own thought process to arrive at the application that I've arrived at, that perhaps the Lord may do for you the same uh, journey. That it will grow in your awareness and understanding of the importance of sleep, so that in practice you will get enough sleep. That's just good. You ask any doctor and they'll tell you, yes, you should get enough sleep. But more importantly, that through getting enough sleep, you grow in your dependence upon God. Now, the heading of this psalm attributes this psalm to King Solomon, the author of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And it reads just like any one of his wisdom literature. It's almost a mini version of Ecclesiastes. It speaks to the vanity of life without the Lord. And though this passage is not about sleep primarily, it speaks to sleep. We see the mention of sleep. At the end of verse 2, you notice there that it says, For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. That's the New American Standard. That's the version I preach from. But you notice that even in his is italicized in NAS. That is, it's not in the original text. So if you have the ESV, NIV, King James, New King James, you'll find out that it's translated, For he gives to his beloved sleep. And that's a legitimate translation. The adverb that's translated as for can also be translated as so, thus, therefore. Understanding thus or so and therefore, he gives to his beloved sleep. The following phrase that we find here is really, it's an an explanatory statement. It gives us the, the reason or the cause for why God gives us sleep. So I want to use this text this morning to launch us to this, my third and final topical sermon on lessons from my sabbatical. And today we're going to look at lessons that we learn from sleep. Three lessons that God teaches us through sleep. Or more, even simply three reasons why we sleep. Three reasons why we sleep. So let's take a look at these three truths from Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2. Of three lessons that God teaches us through sleep. Number one is this. Sleep reminds us of the sovereignty of God. Sleep reminds us of the sovereignty of God. That God is in control and not us. It says, uh, Solomon writes, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Solomon makes two parallel statements here, emphasizing the sovereignty of God over all that we do. God is in control. Last week, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you recall. (coughs) And we're reminded there that God has appointed everything appropriate in its time. That is, God is in control of everything that happens in your life including uh, all the works that he has appointed for you to do. Whatever you're doing right now in your life, whether you are working, 
whether you are a student in school, whether you are a full-time uh, homemaker or full-time caregiver for some loved one, whatever God has appointed you, or maybe you're retired and focusing on uh, other things that you're doing, whatever it is that you're doing right now, God, in his sovereignty, has appointed that for you to do. Yes, you decided to do it. Maybe someone asked you and you agreed to do it. But we must remember that God in his sovereignty has ordained all that we do. Only, he not only gives you work for you to do, but what we tend to forget is that the success and the strength to do what God has given us to do is also given to us by God. That when we do what we do, it's really a testimony of the grace of God. And Solomon makes this point in two statements from everyday life. He first used the everyday story of building a home. Now, most of the times, you and I, we don't go around building homes, but maybe it was more common in those days that people would build their own homes. Building a house involves much labor and materials and time. And any number of things could easily prevent a house from being completed. But ultimately, whether God wills it determines whether a building will retain its completion. And Solomon knew this very well. He knew it because he saw it in his own family life. Remember his father, King David? King David had it in his mind to build a house, you recall. What kind of house? A house for the Lord. David wanted to build a house for the Lord, and David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who lived for God. He trusted God. He did mighty things for God. He, brought, he had all sorts of resources to do a great work for God. So he had the, the means and he had the will to build a house for God. But what did God do? God said, no, not you. Not you. And God forbade David to build the house. And what did God say? God said, your son will build it. So Solomon, who did not need to raise the, fund, the resources for it, ended up being the one, because of the sovereignty of God, to build the house of the Lord. Solomon recognized that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. This word vain is used three times in this passage. It's translated uh, emptiness, vanity. It designates anything that is unsubstantial or worthless. See, it's worthless for a builder to try to build a house unless the Lord ordains for it to be built. God is in control of us building our homes, of us going about our work. God is in control of every step of our life. Proverbs 16.9, Solomon writes elsewhere this, these words, that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Similarly, in Proverbs 20, 24, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. We can make plans. We can make a will. We say, we're going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do all these things. But ultimately, God is the one who sovereignly directs our very steps. God knows the very details of life. He's in control of every single step. What's more, we read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. Nor is it in a man who, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. That man's way, the path of your life, is not determined by yourself. It's determined ultimately by God. And you, the man who walks you, ultimately, even where you walk, is directed by God. God is in control, and He's in control of every step, every aspect of life. It's true for building a home, and it's true for guarding a city. That's the second illustration we see. The word for guards and watchmen here are for a common word, Hebrew word, to keep. To keep safe, to keep secure. 
In the Old Testament days, a, a city would have a night watchman who would stand on the wall of a city or, out, or uh, and to, to watch out for intruders that might come and attack or robbers. And Solomon reckons that the most alert watchman, even the most alert watchman, could not protect the city unless the Lord also guarded the city. So the wise king and watchman recognize that God is sovereignly and ultimately involved in the activity of the watchman guarding the city. See, because while a watchman, no matter how alert he is, what happens to watchmen, what happens to people is that we fall asleep. And that's the, most, the, the weakness of having a man guard your, your property at night because at nighttime we are created almost over the natural drive to sleep. But God does not sleep. Psalm 121 verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. See, God does not sleep. He is the one whom, if we trust, is ultimately able to protect and guard the city and guard us. In these two illustrations, Psalm is not saying that people need to do nothing, though. He's not simply saying that you need to let go and just let God. As if you could just sit there and do nothing and just kind of let the magic work through you all of a sudden. No such thing. Rather, God sovereignly uses the acts of men who depend upon him. God expects the laborers to build. He expects the watchmen to try to, to try to be alert and awake. See, man is to do his part, but he is to recognize God's sovereignty in the work. And we understand this. We are to do our work, but we need to remember, not forget, that God is sovereign in our work. This explicitly is found, this idea is explicitly found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, 13. Paul's writing to the Philippians. He says there, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, we're called, all of us, to work out our salvation. We're all called to live out this faith that we have in Christ. Not to earn our salvation, but to allow it to have its effect in our lives that we would live in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even as we are to do so, as we are to obey this command to work out our salvation, notice that verse 13 says that this work that we do is that which God accomplishes in us. God is at work in you. Not only to will, to want to do the work, but to actually do the work, to work for his good pleasure. See, God is in control. However, let me add, furthermore, God is sovereign over all our works, not only while we work, not only as we go about his work, our work that he gives us, but even while we are not working, while we are sleeping. Did you know that God is at work in your life even while you sleep? You may not have thought that much. You say, what did God do in my life the last time I was sleeping? Is he not at work in your life? Of course he's at work. God works great things, great deeds, even in your sleep. We may not be aware of what he does, but God does. And then we see this actually illustrated in the very first encounter in the Bible with regards to sleep. You remember where the first time we find sleep in the Bible? What book? Genesis. Good. You're right on, guys. Oh, a good Bible teaching church here. Genesis. <laughs> if you're not sure, you just say Genesis. First time this, first time that, just say Genesis. Okay, that's probably it. Genesis 2, 21 to 22. First time we find sleep in the Bible. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Oh, let me back up. Let me back up. I, I want to preface this. 
before this, God made Adam. He made Adam. And then he went through this kind of this strange education for Adam. He brought all the animals to Adam. And Adam was to name all the animals. But what, uh, the lesson that Adam learned for, after naming all that, like basically observing it and saying, well, what is it? And then I'm going to call it this. I'm going to call it this. Adam found not a helper that was suitable for him. He didn't find anyone among all the animals of the earth, all of creation, that was suitable for the task to, for his life on earth that God had created him to do. And so because of this, he rec- this recognition, in fact, God then said it is not good for man to be alone. It actually is a problem that man had. So what does God do with man's problem? He said, Adam, well, you need to work out a solution for this. No. He put him to sleep, and God worked a solution, as we know. Okay, so God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. See, while Adam slept, God sovereignly worked. He took that rib, he closed it up. By the way, this is like first healing in the Bible as well. He made, and God made a woman from that rib. God provided the perfect solution for man's need of a helper suitable while he slept. See, sleep is a reminder to us of God's sovereign activity in our lives. He is active when we're awake, and he is active when we sleep. In sleep, God does so much in our lives. We all think, well, why do we, you know, we sleep because we need rest. And when we sleep, we, get, we, we gain more strength. God is behind that. God causes our bodies and our brains to heal and to grow through sleep. You kind of just, anecdotally, you say, well, oh, kid's sleeping a lot now. Oh, it's, it's going to be a growth spurt. God's causing them to grow. But consider this quote from the book that it talks about the healing benefits of a full night of sleep on the cardiovascular system. Cardiovascular system. And by the way, some of these kind of, these are just illustrations, kind of a little nerdy, just like, well, I really liked all these kind of interesting stats, but uh, things I learned. During deep non-REM sleep, specifically, the brain communicates this calming signal to the fight or flight sympathetic branch of the body's nervous system and does so for long durations of the night. As a result, deep sleep prevents an escalation of this physiological stress that is synonymous with increased blood pressure, heart attack, heart failure, and stroke. Anybody out there with high blood pressure? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there. Heart attack, Dr. Tabio warning you about heart failure, warning you about the potential for stroke. Sleep is in God's means through which he works on our body, and our cardiovascular, to, to lower some of those things that are working in us so that we would be healed from some of these, uh, some of these risk factors in our life. Sleep helps us to heal both physically and emotionally, and scientific research confirms it. Science looks at this healing effect of sleep and attributes it, of course, to, to Mother Nature, evolution. Um, in fact, that's what the, that book that I uh, pointed out does. But when we look at Scripture, Scripture tells us that it is the sovereignty and providence of God, that God gives us sleep for thus Therefore, God gives us sleep. He gives us sleep to remind us of his sovereignty, that he's in control, and he does all sorts of things while we sleep. Now, while we sleep, 
uh, we, uh, while sleeping teaches us about God, it also teaches us about ourselves in the same way. Sleep reminds us about our frailty, the frailty of man. We find this in the, second, the first part of verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the pain, bread of painful labors. Again, we, we find Solomon's favorite theme, vanity. That it's vain to rise up, it's early, it's vain to retire late, it's vain to eat the bread of painful labors. His point here is the vanity, the meaningless of working long hours to provide for yourself and your family. It's vain to work these long hours that many of you are working in our day and age. Or many of you are studying and staying up late for in this day and age. These three phrases, rise up early, retire late, eat the bread of painful labors, is a description of the life of man. That many people have to work long hours in order to provide for their family. In fact, that third phrase, eat the bread of painful labors, is an allusion to the curse of sin. That the reason why we have to work long hours and sometimes to toil and eat the bread of painful labors is because of the curse of sin upon our work. On a daily basis, people rise up early in the morning. They work hard. They work long. They retire late at night. Why? Because they're working and spending their, their working hours in order to provide food, clothing, instruction for, those, for themselves and for those they love. And we don't just do this with work, this pattern that we do with work, but we do it as a pattern even when we're studying in school. You know, if you're in college, you all know the term all-nighter. You know what that means. You probably practice it regularly. We've all done it. I've been there myself. All those all-nighters to finish papers, projects, cramming for midterms and finals that are coming up soon, right? But does working long hours, staying up late, getting up early, all those long hours on school or work, does it actually lead to positive results? Solomon is arguing here that all of this is vain. It's vain. But what does it mean? Should we not work hard then? Should we not study hard? No. Scripture values hard work, certainly. You can think of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11, about go to the ant, you sluggard. Learn from the ant. Look, learn from the ant's hard work and diligence as a pattern for our own lives. Rather, what Solomon is saying here is that it's vain to work apart from a dependence upon God. Because most of us think that simply by working harder or longer, that it, our hard work, our long work, will guarantee the provisions that we need. And we tend to not think that it's God who provides for me. We tend to think that if I just work harder, study harder, study longer, that that's what will provide for what I need. But it's God who gives me strength. It's God who gives you knowledge. It's God who gives you the very life and breath that you have to do your work. It's he who gives you the job that you have. In Job chapter 12, verse 10, Job points out that God, that is in God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Our lives are in God's hand. So therefore, all that we do, whether it's long hours or shorter hours, it's, what, it's all because of God's provision. See, only man in sin thinks that his life is in his own hands. 
but we can't even guarantee our next breath. How many of us can guarantee that next week we'll still be alive? No one. None of us can. We just read the news and we feel people are here one moment, and the next moment there is an accident, there's tragedies, there's terror attacks, there's just disease, death, sudden deaths, and we're gone. We can't even guarantee our next breath. How can we think to provide by simply working harder or longer apart from a dependence upon God? In the past, that's how I used to think. I think that's how most of us think. That it's actually better to work longer hours in your work. It's a good thing. People will praise you for it. Who is the most hardworking person at your work or your company? The guy who comes in early (laughs) and leaves real late. They put in the long hours. And you say, oh, that guy, that's, that's who we should be like. That guy or that woman, that gal. That somehow by working longer hours, that actually equates to a more productive, more efficient accomplishment of the task. But I've come to understand that sleep is not only a reminder of my own frailty, but God has so created us that when we do not get enough sleep, when we put these long hours in, thinking that they're for the good of whatever work we do or for the good of our family, that when we actually do that, our frailty grows even more pronounced. You will see that. And when you're young, you can do it. We've all done when we're young. But when you get to your 30s or 40s or 50s and you're still putting in, getting six hours of sleep a night, and you're starting to find yourself going to see the doctor more, it's not just old age. It may be because... You're not getting enough sleep. In fact, it is scientifically proven vain to work longer hours on a regular basis at the expense of sleep. This is true for work. There's that common misconception that we all have that the longer you work, the more you will complete and be productive. But that's not true. Sure, there's a certain amount of hours that you put into work that makes you productive, no doubt. But there gets a point where there is a, a, a diminishing return. In fact, it starts getting negative the more hours you put in. Dr. Walker's book mentions that sleepy employees are unproductive employees, and I think you all can understand that, right? Here's a quote from his book. The irony that employees miss is that when you are not getting enough sleep, you work less productively and thus need to work longer to accomplish a goal. This means you often must work longer and later into the evening, arrive home later, go to bed later, and no need and need to wake up earlier, creating a negative feedback loop. By the way, that's just not only true of, of work, but it's true even for those of us who stay up late and sacrifice for, for school. Dr. Matthews uh, teaches at UC Cal, so he had a test that he performed some theory on some students. And so here's what he learned about the lack of sleep, its impact upon learning, that there was a 40% deficit in the ability of the sleep-deprived group to cram new facts in the brain. And we all do that, right? Right before the final exam, you just cram as much as you can. Just throw it in there, mm, mm, read and look it over, peruse it over. But if you hadn't learned it by that night, it's actually detrimental because there's a 40% deficit in the ability to make new memories relative to the group that obtained a full night of sleep. 
And he says, to put that in context, it would be the difference between acing exam and failing it miserably. See, part of being human is to be frail. We're all finite human beings. We're finite in our strength. We're finite in our mental capacity. And every day, our bodies and our brains, as they go and they're exercised and used, they get tired and they need to rest. And when we forget this and we start burning the midnight oil on a regular, consistent basis, we become even more frail. See, sleep is not only a reminder to us of our frailty, but it is God's provision for our continued renewal of strength. So when we sleep, we're actually receiving that which God gives us, the very everyday provision that he gives us to gain the strength and the wisdom and the clarity of mind that we need to go about the work that he calls us to do. In sleeping, we recognize our frailty and trust in God to work and provide for us. And that's the second lesson. Sleep reminds us of the sovereignty of God. Sleep reminds us of the frailty of man. But here's a third lesson that we learn. Sleep reminds us to trust in God. And I think with you, this, uh, you're familiar with this text, this passage, that this is the, the key idea of the passage. There in the latter half of verse 2, Solomon writes, for he gives to his beloved sleep. As a reminder of the sovereignty of God and the frailty of man, God gives mankind sleep as a gift, if you will. God gives it to us. He's created us in that way. He's made us biological beings that need sleep. The one who works hard to provide for his family, apart from God, does not have rest. He's con- you, many of us, you know that work. You, you, you got bills to pay. You're working hard. And you know that the things are coming up. And sometimes the anxiety of work, the stress of work, keeps us up at night. And we're not even able to sleep, in fact. Because we mistakenly think that it's all upon us. But the one who depends upon the Lord to provide, even as he works, will receive restful sleep from God. See, to those whom God loves, he gives sleep in the midst of toil and troubles. God, gave, God gives his people restful sleep, those who trust in him. You want to know a person who trusts in him? He's a person who can sleep, or she's a person who can sleep in the midst of anxiety and worry. God gave Jesus sleep in the midst of the storm, Matthew 8, 24, I recall. God gave Peter sleep in the face of execution while he was in prison in Herod's, uh, Herod's jail in Acts 12, verse 6. If you're about to be executed the next day, you probably don't want to sleep. But Peter was sleeping. God gave him that deep sleep. You know, think of the reasons that we sleep. We, we sleep when we're tired, certainly. And what does sleep do? It helps cause to renew our strength. There are other, of course, there are other benefits of sleep that we probably don't even realize. But did you know that we sleep when we're sad? Those who struggle or wrestle with depression oftentimes find themselves sleeping a lot. We actually see this illustrated among Jesus' disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, verse 45. They were sleeping from sorrow. But in sleeping, God brings us relief. Relief to these emotional uh, hurts and, and trials that we're going through, especially, particularly for those who trust in him and his word. 
See, God gives restful sleep. He gives uh, satisfying sleep to those who trust in him. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Solomon also writes, Proverbs 3.24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. It's interesting, what's more, that science actually has discovered that sleep, particularly REM sleep, helps us in healing emotional wounds. It's kind of fascinating, a little, little tidbit uh, that we learn. But in light of Scripture, we know that God, through sleep, gives us peace. Because in it, we express our dependence upon God. Even more, we look to God for protection when we sleep. Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. See, sleep challenges us each night to express our trust in the Lord our God. If you are young, like I once was, you might be tempted to think that you can trust God and get by with six hours of sleep a night or less. You can do that for a little while. But in so doing, you are rejecting. Think about it. You're rejecting God's provision for your renewed strength of body and mind each day. You know, sleep is not just a biological thing. It's not just because we're animals. Like all animals, we just need sleep. God made us to need sleep. If God made us to need sleep, perhaps we should not ignore it and we should sleep. And that's where it hit home for me. That's where it just kind of gets personal. I'll just share it with you a little bit. Because if I say that I trust in God, but yet then I go around not sleeping enough, then am I really trusting him? Or am I trusting in my own strength? I've thought about this, and it reminds me, it's, it's like a person who, who says they love their spouse, but then they ignore all the words, the counsel, the instructions that their loved ones give them things that they're offers of help. And God has provided this for us. God made me to need sleep. My first sabbatical, I, I came to the realization that I was wrestling with worry, anxiety. And I came back and I shared with our elders. I said, oh, I, I've come to learn that I need to trust God more. I need to cast my cares upon him. But what, I found, what I've come to realize the second sabbatical is that while I recognized that and I strove, strove, strove to depend upon God, by not Resting by not sleeping, I was basically ignoring a very tangible way of expressing my trust in God. And by not sleeping the full eight hours, it actually made it harder for me to find the strength and to handle the, the pressures of, of work and of ministry, of life. So pray for me. 
I'm trying to receive God's gift of sleep. It's pretty hard. Once you kind of get used to sleeping six hours a night, there's always something else to do. Someone else thinks other tasks you have to do at night or, or you got to get up early to, to get to your work and, and to do what you need to do. But if we trust in God, if I trust in God, my application, my conviction is that I would receive what he has given to me. And that's the one of the means is that he's given me sleep to strengthen me and renew me each day. How does your sleep reflect your trust in the Lord? Now, I understand, like, if you're Pastor Ray, uh, if you're in that stage of life uh, where you have a new young one, you're just not going to get any. Okay. Well, there's always stages of life. There are certain stages of life. There are, whether you're a parent of newborn, maybe you're caring for others. Maybe it's times of emergency, like in times of war, times of a, a, a crisis. But hopefully, it's just for a season that you might learn to depend and that you might ultimately learn to depend upon the Lord even in your period of sleep deprivation. We can do that. Paul did that. But may the pattern of your life be characterized by a dependence upon God that goes beyond the mind and extends to how you live, especially how you sleep. Because God gives sleep. See, in our frailty, here's the simple explanation of the text. In our frailty, we depend on the sovereignty of God, receiving from him the provision for our life. So we, depend, we look to him for provision for our life. God gives us his word for our life, right? And so we can say we depend upon him, but if we don't go to his word every day to receive help, to receive wisdom, to receive counsel, are we really trusting in his word? God gives us prayer that we might learn to, to provide for our everyday needs. And if I say that I trust in him, but yet daily I do not, I fail to go pray and ask of him for strength and help, then am I really trusting God? God gives us the church to help us in life. And if I say I trust in God, but I completely ignore the church, I forsake its gathering together on a weekly basis, and I, don't, I, I completely avoid all fellowship with other saints, am I truly trusting in God's provision for life? Let me take it to something more earthly. Food and drink, bread and water. I can say I trust in God, but do I then go ahead and don't eat and don't drink? No, I eat and drink. If I don't eat and drink each day, and I and God, in fact, Jesus teaches us to pray this way to give us this day our daily bread. Then us. Are we really trusting God, God's provision of food for us on a daily basis so that we might live and breathe? And, and so this is where I get to sleep. And I'm not saying that all of you need to get to this conclusion, okay? This is just my pattern of thought that I arrived at this. But if I trust in God, then I will seek his provision for all of life. And one of the things that he provides for my renewal of heart and mind and strength each day is sleep. When I ignore it, when I don't receive this provision from God, then do I trust in him? Am I trusting him? It's a very concrete. You can put your hand on it. You can actually do it. You can say, I'm going to schedule out six if you're going only four. You know, if you're getting six, try seven. If you've got seven, go eight to renew your strength.
That's just practical application. Having said that, you can get eight hours of sleep, but if you're not trusting in God, no hope whatsoever. In fact, you can do all these things that God has provided for you, but if you avoid, ignore the most important provision, the most important gift that he's given to all of us, your trust is in vain. And that greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ. We all understand that Jesus, we can go to this process of Hebrew, talks about how Jesus is our Sabbath rest, that he's the one that gives us that perfect rest, the rest in his presence, the hope of eternal life in, in his presence. And if you're here and you haven't not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, pray that today you might know that God has given you the hope of rest, eternal rest, through his gift of his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave that you might live. Well, these are just, these are the lessons that God's kind of just brought to my mind. And I hope that you will continue to grow in your trust in the Lord. If the Lord will convict you to get more sleep, may you do that. If not, well, keep trusting in him, nevertheless. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these truths. And I pray that you would cause us to grow in our dependence upon you. We know, Lord, that it is vain. It is vain for us to do anything apart from you. It is vain for us to work long hours apart from a dependence upon you. And yes, Lord, some of us here have to work long hours. Yes, Lord, some of us here have to go without sleep, especially those of parents of newborns. Father, no matter how much sleep we get, can you, will you teach us, Lord, to always depend upon you? But, Lord, that we, as we express our dependence upon you, may, may it go beyond just a, 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 something in our minds may be expressed in that which we do so we would receive your provisions for life on earth, beginning with Christ and his word and prayer with you and your church, but also, Lord, on a daily basis with thankful hearts, Receiving the food, the drink, and the sleep that you give to us each day. May we do so for your glory and for your great name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.